So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called Pillow Cube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow that's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. Tools that we teach people in terms of that can be really, really effective for using humor effectively in the workplace. Again, we're not trying to curate just stand-up comedians, although we learn a lot from stand-up. But the three tools mentioned, some of them already. So one is a humor notebook. Absolutely invaluable to keep a spot where you just write things down because it's very hard to sit down and be funny. Very hard to be like, okay, I've got, you know, 23 minutes before my next meeting, I'm going to be funny for 23 minutes and go. I'm going to write out a bunch of tweets or I'm going to write out a funny, like, it can be hard. Some comedians are able to do that after years of practice, but for most people, Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Andrew Tarvin. Andrew, tell us tell us a bit about what you do. Certainly. Well, the, the made-up job title that I've settled on for myself is a humor engineer, which, of course, is one completely made up. And people are like, isn't that an oxymoron combining humor and engineering? But it, I think it's the most accurate depiction of what I do. So by short way of background into it is I have a degree in computer science and engineer, engineering from The Ohio State University started working at Procter & Gamble as an IT project manager and was really struggling with this incredibly difficult resource, which was other humans, because I was always good with computers, not as good with people. But I started doing improv and stand-up in college and started to realize that when I used the things that I had learned from improv and stand-up, I actually got a lot better results in the workplace. So I started to explore that intersection of humor and business and improv and productivity and kind of just happiness in the workplace and uh, discovered there's a lot of great benefits to doing it. So I was like, oh, more people should know this. And I'm an engineer who had to learn this skill of humor who wasn't naturally funny. So maybe I can be that person to, to help teach people. So that's what we do. We worked with over 250 organizations on how to be more effective using humor in the workplace. So, and tell us a little bit more about the book and about your organization. Certainly. So the Humor That Works organization, like I said, we we partner with a lot of different organizations. A lot of it looks like professional development trainings for, for leaders and for a staff or for our employees. Some of it's like consulting on the back end of say, how do we build a more positive, cohesive organization, bring in psychological safety, but do it in a fun way. And all of that kind of was distilled into our book that came out April in, in 2019 of about Humor That Works. Like, kind of this idea of Okay, if you really think about work, it's five core skills, which we can certainly talk about, but how does humor apply across each one of those five core skills to get better results? So it's a deeper dive into helping anyone who wants to get started using a little bit more humor in the workplace, how they can do it, even if they think that they're quote unquote, not funny. Yeah. You know, I I was interested when your people pitched to have you come on the show. I was interested because of just advantages I've seen, you know, before we started, I was telling you about my friend who's been on the show, Jay Davis, and his, his agency creatively makes these ads that are so funny that you can buy people's time for like a five minute ad or a six minute ad because he's just so funny. They'll sit there through, they'll sit there through his like basically five minute infomercial, right? And these companies, their sales will go from a million bucks a month to three or four million dollars a month just from him putting those ads out for them. But another one too, you know, I think about this show has a lot of entrepreneurs and investors and people that listen to it. And I think about like the most ambitious ones who are, you know, they're trying to become a billionaire or maybe, you know, sign the giving pledge with Bill Gates and Warren Buffett or something, right? Well, entrepreneurship is a high contact sport. You know, emotions, emotions go high. There's a lot of opportunity for friction, uh, especially if you're making something new, you know, and you're kind of into uncharted territories and somebody's got this opinion, somebody else has got that opinion. And 
at our charity, Child Rescue, you know, working on a pretty serious issue of combating child trafficking. One of the best examples of humor that I've seen in my life is uh, the guy who was our CEO, Peter Donovan. He actually recently came on the show. He was, you know, used to be in Naval Special Warfare and then ended up going over the army to the most elite counterterrorism unit, their, their classified unit of special operations. And retired for that, came out and ran Child Rescue. And like, no matter how bad things would get, he can always crack a joke. Like mm -hmm. there is nothing so intense that he can't think of something funny about it, you know? And it's not like he isn't, he doesn't treat serious subjects serious. He mm -hmm. does, but like constantly, like it is so fun to work with him because he's just funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, the humor is, it's so great in a number of different things that you just talked about. One, like you said, of creatively and marketing is, it's so valuable in communication because humor is instant relevance because people like to have fun. I mean, that's why Jerry Seinfeld says there's no such thing as an attention span, only boring content. And so if you are making people laugh, then they're listening. And if they're listening, then they can tell you what you want. So even if it is a long, quote unquote, five minute ad, it's like if it's entertaining throughout, that's what's keeping people engaged. And by listening, they just happen to be taking in some of that message as well. So it's incredibly valuable for communication. And the other thing, because we've done some work with some more serious organizations like the Red Cross, like the UN, the FBI, and it's recognizing that if a subject matter is serious, it doesn't mean that by using humor that you don't take it seriously. It just means that you understand how humans work. And if your message is important, this is what we learned kind of working with the Red Cross, specifically when they were doing disaster preparedness, is they were saying that if your message is important, then boredom has very serious consequences, right? Because if you're going to explain to people what to do in the case of a flood or a tornado, and they're not listening because it's such a dry presentation, they could lead to a loss of life a little bit later. So you need to do what we know is going to bring people on board, of which humor is one of those great effective humor techniques. And, and then certainly from a leadership component, part of understanding the skill of humor is recognizing that there's a difference between the humor that you would use in a comedy club and the humor that you might use in a more serious situation, but recognizing, oh, I maybe need to crack a joke right now done in the right way so that we relieve some of the tension in the room so that we can still address the serious thing that's coming into play. And so all of those things are important kind of mechanisms or reasons to get more effective at using humor. So let's just start with some principles. Like what's one of the first principles that you teach to people who to become funnier? Yeah. So one of the first things that we say is, is certainly that humor is more broad than comedy. Because a lot of times when people hear humor, they immediately go to comedy, which is an important component of that. But humor is also, you know, something that's maybe just a little bit silly or something a little bit different. So recognizing humor outside of the stage is the bar is, is certainly lower, right? Because if you think about like a boardroom meeting that you're into, like it doesn't have to be like Dave Chappelle level of funny or like Ali Wong, like knee slapping so good. It can be more of a like, Oh, just something a little bit different. People are already going to lean in a little bit more. But if you're trying to learn that skill of humor, it starts first with your sense of humor. Like, what do you find interesting? What makes you go like, huh, that's curious. So I'm, I'm curious from you, Jess, is there anything that you are obsessed with? Anything that you like spend more time thinking about than you think the average person does? Yeah. So what one of them is like obsession with what are the, what are the, like, what are the patterns that somebody can go from zero to a billion in one lifetime? Yeah. Right. So you're obsessed with that. Right. So you can start to explore that obsession and mine it for humor. Right. That's where humor comes from is for our life. So if you start to think about like, so one, it could be like, OK, why are you obsessed with that? Is that like, oh, I definitely want to be a billionaire. Is it just like, no, it's fascinating. What what brings that kind of draw for you? Yeah, I, I want to be a billionaire, sign the giving pledge and ramp up our charity in like a huge, huge way. Yeah, which I think is is great. One, just sharing that story. There's some humor components probably to that is like, I want to be a billionaire to give it all away, which is kind of an interesting, right? It's not what most billionaires would say. It's like, I want to kick, I want to cook the biggest feast possible to have a bunch of people over, right? It's very philanthropic, but it's like that kind of like almost bait and switch that will make some people laugh because as soon as you say, I want to be a billionaire, they maybe start to think of like, oh, that's kind of greedy or why are you so obsessed with wealth? And then you switch it on them and it's like, because I'm going to give it all away. And they're like, Oh, I get maybe I'm the bad person for thinking that you are the bad person for for wanting to do that, right? So it all starts kind of with that sense of humor and exploring it. And your obsession, it can be something big and grandiose, like a life goal, 
or it can be even something small. Like I, as an engineer, I'm obsessed with efficiency, like to the point that, you know, I realize that when loading a dishwasher, if you put all the like silverware together, when loading the dishwasher, you save about 20 seconds on the unload, right? So I wrote up like a five point plan for our family to follow up, like how to efficiently load and lo unload the dishwasher, which everyone promptly ignored. Right. But it's those obsessions with efficiency or like I listen to podcasts at 2x speed because not only is it faster, but more people sound like me because I know that I have a bit of a nasally voice. Right. So this is all just kind of mining the things that happen to you, the things that you find interesting for humor. So that's the starting point is your, your sense of humor. And, and one thing that's great to do that, to build that is, is keeping what we as comedians call a humor notebook. It's simply one repository, one spot where you're capturing the ideas that happen to you in one place to say, oh, okay, this might be a story or something like, oh, this could be, I could use this in a meeting coming up a little bit later. <clears throat> so for people who, for people who it feels risky to start trying to be funnier because it can be embarrassing when you try to tell a joke and nobody laughs or things like this. How do you how do you help people ease into it more? Well, I think part of it is recognizing that I do believe everyone has at least some basis of skill of humor. And this is something very recent that we've come out with of a basically kind of humor personality assessments. And so it's less of the question of are you funny and more of the question of what kind of funny are you? Because some people are epic storytellers or some people who it's like they can tell something about their, their day where they went to the mall and it's the most funny story in the world. And then there's other people who have had some epic thing happen to them where it's like, you know, yeah, they went through all of these tough things, but then they when they go to tell it, you're like, that sounds so terrible and boring. Like, I don't want to listen to that. Right. So some people are good storytellers. Some are not. Some people are really good at written humor. Other people fail at it miserably. Some people are really good curators, recognizing that you don't always have to be the source of humor, but instead you can be the, cre the curator of humor. So maybe you're that person that always has the perfect emoji in the group chat, or you always have kind of the perfect quotation from a movie to share with other people, or you have the right GIF response to share, you know, in a presentation that you're giving. And so I think that's one way to start small is using other people's humor in an effective way. Now you just want to make sure that you give certainly proper credit. You don't want to pretend like you don't want to take like uh, material from Eddie Izzard and pretend that it's your own, right? But you want to say like, oh, hey, I saw this great bit from Eddie Izzard, going to show, you know, 60 seconds of it. And here's how this applies to the thing that we're talking about. So I think part of it is recognizing that you can start small. And then again, recognizing that it's a skill that you can, you can learn. And there are some techniques that you can learn to deliver humor more effectively, right? A lot of times people are scared of that, like, but what if I say something and no one laughs? Well, if your humor is positive and inclusive and you say a joke that's positive and inclusive and no one laughs and it just becomes a positive inclusive statement, right? That's the difference between using it in a boardroom than in a stand-up comedy club. The other thing I think that helps for, for people to recognize is a lot of times it's only awkward if you make it awkward, right? If you're like, eh, that was a joke. You guys get it? Anyone else? If you just move on from it confidently from that, people would just be like, oh, okay, I'm moving on with it. Yeah, it's funny. It makes me think of a couple of people in my life. Two of the funniest guys I know, Johnny Foreign and Jeff Hadley, they, they're like dry humor is like they draw no attention to it. They don't care if you get the joke. They're like, they're telling it for themselves. <laughs> and they're like... They're constantly saying sarcastic things that be the opposite of what's meant, but they say it like completely deadpan. And they, they, it would seem like they don't care if anybody gets it. Like they're, this is for their entertainment, right? And yeah. as a result, it's like extra funny because they don't draw attention to it, you know? It is, yeah, it's, it's certainly more subtle. And, and that's what, I mean, most comedians will say that because you have kind of that, that balance of the people who say the most ridiculous sayings with a completely stone face. And that I think is really funny. And then you have people who are kind of like Jimmy Fallon where they like laugh at their own stuff before they ever finish a joke. And certainly there's balance to, to both of those. But comedians tend to stick to the like, no, I'm doing this for myself. That's how it started for me. Like I remember being in this meeting at PNG that was so boring. Like it was one of those meetings that was like, you want to cry because of how boring it is. You're like brainstorming all the stuff you wish you could be doing instead of being in that meeting. And it's not even fun stuff. You're like, I wish I could be like folding laundry right now or like, I should like schedule a root canal after this so I feel something, right? It was one of those awful meetings. And the problem with that particular meeting was that I was the one leading the meeting. And it's like, <laughs> if I'm bored while talking, they have to be bored while listening. And so part of my using humor was just like, 
how do I get through the day more? How can I survive meeting after meeting or enjoy all of these emails that I have to send? And it was more that recognition of like, oh, if I'm having fun, the audience is more likely to be having fun. And therefore, they're going to enjoy, they're going to listen to what we said, or they're going to be more likely to be influenced, or they're going to react or respond to the emails, et cetera. So it's, it's that aspect of right, going back to that idea of what gets fun gets done in many ways. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think of humor so often in terms of how can it help us with our agenda, but it can also be a really big benefit of like a service to do for others. You know, like my business partner, Lindsay Hadley, got me into this fancy dinner at Hugh Jackman's house. It was like this charity thing with like Tiger Banks and Katie Couric and these billionaires. And I thought it was like, I'm like totally starstruck. I think it's the coolest thing that's ever happened in my life. Right. I'm like, nobody. There's like, 30, 20 people in this room. And uh, Hugh Jackman, like besides being like a charming human being anyways, there, I probably shouldn't say it is. There was a certain billionaire there who, well, I can say he's Russian. There's a certain Russian billionaire there who is not smiling, okay? Mm -hmm. And and I know that the charity wanted this guy to be a donor, right? Mm -hmm. And he was like so kind and like welcoming to everybody. But with this guy that I think like the, the CEO had kind of, you know, so like, hey, get, you know, warm that guy up, right? It was interesting how like he gets this like very stoic, straight face, like you think the guy might have come from the KGB looking dude, right? To like crack up laughing and like, anyways, I probably shouldn't tell the other stories. But but the point is like, I it's so interesting to me when you see people who really don't need something from someone that maybe not is the best, may not be the best story for that. But like when you see people who are, their station in life is so much above the people they're meeting. Mm -hmm. And when those people take the time to crack a joke to make someone else feel comfortable, like isn't that like one of the greatest services they can do in that moment? Well, I mean, I think it's, I think it's true of any moment of, of any status that you have, what a great gift to be able to give people as a gift of laughter and a, a brief moment of joy in their life. And that's particularly true in today's environment when people are feeling so stressed about pretty much everything to give a little bit of levity. And I think it's absolutely true, whether you are a super high status person and kind of like recognizing someone's kind of like, hey, I can give this to you. Or if you are the, you know, grocery store clerk that you see someone come through your line with a tough day and you make them smile. It's like that brief moment of joy, that levity. And it's a great influence technique for sure, because well, one, like people like to laugh. They like seeing you know people that make them happy they're going to want to spend more time with and it also relaxes them a little bit more and and from a, a pure experience perspective right we know the peak in principle people tend to remember the peak of an experience and the end of the experience so if part of that peak in that moment whether it's a long dinner or whatever they can be like oh that was a fun event because so and so made me laugh and they must really understand me if they were able to get me to laugh right it's, it's showing a little bit of that empathy and emotional intelligence to say hey we must be standing on the same side if we're joking about the same thing yeah so i'm interested what are what are some of your humor styles what works for you well what works for me is i am it's interesting because in fact i was doing my brother is a professor at texas a m he teaches the rhetoric of humor which is basically the the use of humor for influence and this was something that he picked up on after i started doing more improv and stand up and was talking about the the success of it he's like we need to research that and explore that a little bit more but he and I were presenting at the same conference in Morocco. And after our presentation, we were in the elevator ride down. And one of the attendees was like, you know, I find it so fascinating that your humor styles are so different. She turned to my brother and she's like, you have such a warm style of humor, very kind of fun and casual. Then she turned to me and she's like, and your humor is more cold. <laughs> and so it was very interesting. I think what she was saying though is my humor is more specific, more exact. It's more like setup and punchline and more intentional where my brother is like, he'll make people laugh for an hour. And then I'll be like, how did you then be like, I don't, did they laugh? I think they laugh, right? I don't know why they laugh, but I know that they laugh. He's more conversational style where I'm the engineer. I'm like, nope, let's do a quick kind of setup and punchline. Let's talk a little bit about like structure. I talk about nerdy subjects. I talk about being an engineer, right? I talk about being a nerd. And when people are like, what type of nerd? The answer is yes, right? Computer mass, sci-fi, Dungeons, Dragons, Star Wars, Star Trek, Star Trek, Starbucks, all of them. I talk about my appearance as well. Speaking of Hugh Jackman, people tell me I sometimes kind of look a little bit like a skinny Hugh Jackman, which I'll take. They always emphasize skinny though. It's never like Hugh Jackman. It's always skinny or like frail Hugh Jackman. It's like, I recognize that. I was born 8.3 pounds and then stayed that way till I was 15 years old. I'm a very skinny, frail person. So that's my kind of like style to build off of that. A fun fact though, my favorite kind of celebrity doppelganger is two years ago, someone sent me a message on Facebook. A good friend of mine, she was like, 
you know, as you get older, I'm realizing you look more and more like U.S. soccer star Megan Rapino, which is a like I think it's a great compliment to to be told that, and it's also accurate because I am, you know, also in my 30s, like just like Megan. Uh, I also love soccer, and we both get called ma'am on the phone, so I think it's an accurate <laughs> assessment. So that's where my humor comes from: is the things that happen, and a lot of people's does. It's the things that happen to you. Like I said, it's a sense of humor, and then the ability to humor. That's the second component of skill of humor is being able to take those observations, those ideas and explore it a little bit further. Say, if this is true, what else is true? Like, oh, if I've made people kind of laugh or smile about this thing, how could I extend that a little bit further? Right. And that's something that I imagine Jay does very well, as opposed to one single punchline, like having one laugh line in six minutes. It's like, no, let's take that one idea and build off of it. it's like key and peel if you've ever seen their sketch show they're so good at yes anding and building on an idea where you start at one moment and then you're laughing for six minutes straight because of how they've explored that idea further yeah yeah for sure you know i think about a woman who i think sets an example for great humor for salespeople. i feel like you know ever since i was 15 years old when i got my first sales job i feel like i've been in sales the whole time even when i'm ceo of a private equity fund so just top sales guy sales. right mm -hmm. yeah and she, she is so good at telling jokes that are an exaggeration of the good points of the person who's there, or like these like assumptive things of like, man, it just, it's be so great to go to Hawaii. You'd, Jim, can we borrow your private jet? I just, I think it would be fun for us to all go, you know, these like assumptions that with these like favorable assumptions that make everybody laugh and it gives them a chance to get in on the joke, you know? Mm -hmm. And I just saw her charm people over and over and over. And I've worked to try to, to emulate it, but any other, any other, you know, for entrepreneurs listening that either have to sell something or get an investor, any, any ideas for humor in meetings like that? And they're trying to build some rapport. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's, so there's a uh, psychologist, Rade Martin to find four styles of humor. And they've done a lot of research around these different styles. And so it's sometimes helpful to understand those styles. So the first style is affiliative. That is positive, inclusive humor. This is basically like Mr. Rogers, right? It's the kind of like, let's bring everyone all in together. And we're going to kind of like smile together. And maybe we're going to tell a little bit of stories. And in some ways, the, the, the humor that you're talking about here is affiliative, right? It's positive about the other person. Instead of like attacking them, you're kind of like making a fun, positive assumption that is exaggerated, right? So that exaggeration brings in some of the humor. So that's a great positive form of style. Another style is self-enhancing humor. This is finding humor in your own hardships. This is what Seinfeld does with observational humor. It's also epitomized by a great quote from Kurt Vonnegut that says, laughter and tears are both responses for us to frustration. I myself prefer to laugh because there's less cleaning up to do afterwards, right? It's like saying, okay, here's a situation. Let's see if we can make the person laugh. And this, I think, can actually be really good in sales because it's kind of recognizing the situation. In fact, a friend of mine, Ian Altman, who does a lot of sales training, says he's in a great version of humor that he heard with someone doing cold calls was that this person would start their cold call with like, hey, this is a cold call. If you want to hang up, do it now. And it's just something that is so spot on, so accurate to the moment. And he's like, people still hung up, but a lot more people would laugh and be like, okay, you got 30 seconds, right? Because you made me laugh. You've like earned a little bit more time. You've earned a little bit more of my attention, right? So that's self-enhancing to say, I got to do this cold call anyway. Might as well make it a little bit fun. Then there's self-defeating humor. That is a negative form of humor where your target is yourself. Right. So I mentioned kind of 8.3 pounds. So I can talk about being skinny or I can talk a little bit about my voice. Right. I still get called ma'am on the phone, which uh, is sometimes good, sometimes bad. During the pandemic, I had to call about an order. And I was very impressed with this customer service person because they're like, Hi, what can I help you with? And I was like, Yes, I need to check the status of this order. And they're like, Happy to help you with that, ma'am. What's the name on the order? And I had to like drop my voice. I was like, <clears throat> Andrew Tarvin. And the guy without missing the beat though, he was very good. He was like, all right, happy to help you with that, man. Listen up, man. This is what you're going to do, man. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> ma'am to man. That's pretty good. Right. But me even talking about that is self-defeating humor. And that's, that's a great form of humor when you are in that high status position, right? If you are a presenter or if you're someone that might, people might be slightly intimidated by for whatever reason, by poking fun at yourself, you're saying, Hey, I don't take myself too seriously. I don't have a big ego and we can joke around with each other because I'm doing it with me. So it can be a great form when you have that high status. And the last form of humor is aggressive humor. That is like a negative form of humor where you are targeting someone else. This is also where sarcasm and satire lie. 
And this is this can be a good form of humor for catharsis, and it can be good form if it's the kind of general style that people have. It's much riskier to do early on. After you've learned someone's style, it's like, okay, that's when some of the sarcasm and other stuff can come out. But when you're first meeting someone, tends to be a little bit better to focus on some of the other ones. And just recognizing that helps you to start to say, okay, what's the type of right appropriate humor for me to use in this situation? You know, that's interesting. I think about Ryan Reynolds and your categories there, right? And how often does he sarcastically to talk about something bad about himself in a way that compliments others and gets like a, gets a, I don't know, a hat, a hat trick there? Yeah, exactly. Does multiple ones in one go where, cause there's, there's a certain confidence that comes by using self-defeating humor. So in some ways it's self-enhancing for him, but he makes you feel better about the situation. So it is affiliative, but it is kind of aggressive because it might be. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's certainly, as you get better at this, there's great nuance that you can have. And that's part of exploring and defining your own personal style. And, and that's where the practice and repetition comes from. I mean, when we, people are like, can you teach people to be funny? Well, it's like, well, we believe we can teach anyone to be funny er, right? Not necessarily going to be like across the board funny, but we can teach you and teach you some skills and, and there's an art and science to humor. So we can teach you the science. We can teach you what a comic triple is or a callback or what it means to call the moment. And we can talk about any of those things if you want to, but we, there's also an art to it. And that art comes from you practicing it, trying it either in a formal setting like stand-up or improv, or just understanding that you can also do it more in conversation with friends and try to, to, to suss out what type of material works. You know, it makes me think of like, you know, the finance world is kind of like junior high. It's like, but instead of like, how my dad can beat up your dad, elementary school stuff, it's like how, like how much money you've got or how big a deals you do or you know, like, but it's, it's like very junior high. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so like, I do think about one that's done well for me of like, when I'm in a room, I'm like, I'm trying to set the tone of like, Hey, I belong here, mm -hmm. but you're trying to, you're trying to like, you kind of need to like set the tone, but you're trying as hard as you can not to brag because that's mm -hmm. going to be off-putting. Right. Yeah. And so like, I'll tell a joke about like how, you know, I should probably be five. Like I probably could not keep most $10 an hour jobs because I can't spell or do grammar. Like, I'm, I can land, I can take a, I can take an investor who's going to put a hundred grand in and ramp them up to putting 8 million. And I've done that before, but I'm the guy who's going to forget to like send the paperwork to actually get the money, you know? <laughs> so nobody should ever let me be in charge of the paperwork because everybody's going to be out of a job. You know, and I don't, I don't know how that would fit into your four categories there, but it's worked for me. Well, it, yeah, no, it's great because it, it's a little bit self-defeating, right? It's a way to humble brag in a sense to be like, hey, I can do this, but also that you don't take yourself seriously. So it's, it's less of being a braggart and more of like, no, this is just kind of a funny thing to share. I think it's very funny if you're bad at grammar or say punctuation, like you're like, oh, I want to get into the three comma club. I just wouldn't know where the commas go. Right. Like to me is a very funny idea of this distinction. And so you can say those things and it takes the edge off because people are laughing before they're even real like, oh, wait, oh, OK, no, that's an interesting thing or that is impressive. Right. So it, it's that it's doing that double duty of, again, you get to say something that is true. There's a lot of truth in comedy, but because you've made people laugh it disarms them from their normal reaction that they might have. That's why it's such a great influence technique as well is because when you have their people laughing, their defenses are down a little bit like, oh, I'm having a good time. I'm going to be more receptive and open to these conversations or these ideas that share. And the other thing that I've found for me personally is absolutely being sometimes in those rooms where you're like with these people who have like done incredible things and you're like, why am I here? When you make someone laugh, it's a huge confidence boost as a speaker in the conversation or networking rooms or whatever, because you're kind of like, all right, well, maybe I don't have the billions of dollars like they do. And maybe I haven't done like this incredible, like Broadway production, like this person, but I just made them laugh. They're like happy that I'm kind of, they're, they're, they're showing, expressing joy that I'm here. Well, I will say this. You talk about being skinny, you know, like I'm still skinny now, but like, you know, 40 pounds ago when I was six foot three and 140 something pounds in college, right. I was, you know, the, the stick thing guy had been my whole life. And there's this comedy show in Canada I grew up with called the red green show that Canadians, you know, they might know of like, you know, dogs are not a man, best friend at stock tape, that guy. Anyways, but he says uh, he had this line about, well, if the women don't find you handsome, they should at least find you handy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And for me in college, it was like, if the girls don't find you handsome, they should at least find you humorous, you know? Yeah. So like my goal at like a dance would be like, ask some cute girl to dance. And you're like cycling through conversations to like, 
as many things as you can until you find something she really wants to talk about that I actually wanted to talk about, right? <laughs> and then just like consistently try to figure out like every chance for humor in this conversation. And uh, like the, the cutest girl of my college, my college years, right? She's the star of the volleyball team, blah, blah, blah. Ended up becoming a sportscaster later, blah, blah, blah. I remember getting invited over to her apartment a different time. And she introduced me to everybody as Jess, who's who's working to become a comedian for his career. <laughs> and I was like, not, not what I was trying to do, but who cares? It got me invited over to her house, right? So anyway. Right. Well, I mean, people want to be around people who are are fun. It is this great equalizer. And it's, I mean, study after study shows it as well. Like people want, are attracted to someone with a sense of humor. Right? I mean, people who use humor effectively in the workplace are given more opportunities. They're promoted faster. They're rated better. They end up getting paid more, right? There's a lot of research behind all this stuff. But it, again, it, it makes sense because you want to be around that person. And there's there's a certain emotional intelligence that comes with being able to use humor appropriately in those situations. And this is where a principle from improvisation is hugely helpful in conversational humor. And that is yes and. Like yes and is this fundamental mindset of improv because a lot of times in a conversation, what normal people would do is if you say something funny, everyone will just laugh. And then it's kind of like, well, I guess let's move on to the next subject or whatever we're past that. What improvisers will do is they'll take that nugget of an idea and build off of it. They'll be like, oh, okay, now we can go in this direction. Let's, we just found the fun. We just found something really kind of interesting to talk about. Let's explore it a little bit further. Let's go into this direction to say like, oh, okay, that could be true. Yeah, if you're 6'3", 140 pounds, like, and a skinny, frail person, you could say most people think that that's a bad thing, right? That's way too skinny. But I will tell you, I never had a problem sneaking through gates, right? Whenever I got to them, because they're always too small for me or whatever. It's like, I had to take, like, I could use a, like, I could use a water fountain as a shower. That's a pretty big positive, right? So you put that fun spin on it. You put it in a different direction rather than talking about the negatives of something you talk about the positives or vice versa, right? Everything, everyone thinks that it's great to have X, Y, or Z, but actually here are the negatives, right? It's going to be a different perspective and that's, what's going to make people laugh. Yeah. I love it. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about some of the principles you mentioned. You mentioned a few different things that you teach people. Let's, why don't you pick one of those? Certainly. So uh, a great one, probably the easiest one, and this is maybe one of the most well-known ones, but because it's an easy one to explain is there are certain structures within comedy. The most basic is setup and punchline. And so one of the structures that can help you to get to a clear setup and punchline is called a comic triple. And this is kind of based off the idea that three is the minimum list of things that you need to create a pattern, right? Because the first thing is exists. The second thing suggests maybe a pattern. The third thing confirms that pattern. So you can take advantage of that kind of human psychology to create a joke with the comic triple. So a comic triple, for example, is, you know, as I mentioned, I'm an engineer. I used to like to take things apart and then put them back together again, things like clocks and radios and my parents' marriage, which I never got that one back together, right? So that's a comic triple, right? It's a list of three things. The first two things are normal in that list. And then the third thing still technically applies for the list, but it's some type of break, right? So that what's great about that though, is it can be an easy trigger. Now, anytime that you're starting to list something off, you can start to say, oh, could I add something a little bit more fun there? Like even like a client list. So when I tell clients, like people that I've worked with, it's like, yeah, we've worked with organizations like Microsoft, the FBI, and the International Association of Canine Professionals, which isn't necessarily laugh out loud hysterical, but people are like, wait, what? What is the International Association of Canine Professionals? Like, oh, great. Well, like when I first got the emails, like I thought it was for, I thought it was an organization for dogs who had jobs, you know, like seeing eye dogs and drug sniffing dogs and a dog from Airbud. Turns out it's just for people who are dog trainers, right? But it gets people leaning in a little bit more because it's something a little bit different. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a book called, Do You Talk Funny? I don't know if you know this one, but I remember kind of learning a little bit about this from that guy who, you know, I think that book was encouraging to me because here's a guy who doesn't have skills that goes from zero to being able to do stand-up comedy, you know, right? <laughs> And this idea that you you say there about like the break, you know, this idea of like lead them, leading them along a line this way and go, go some other direction. What do you think it is about surprise that, that helps humor? It's a great question. So yeah, Do You Talk Funny, a fantastic book by a gentleman named David Nihel. He and I are good friends. In fact, we're doing an event together in a couple of weeks. A very funny person. Like you said, his background was deathly afraid of public speaking. He got into a situation where his friend, they wanted to do a fundraiser for him. And his friend was like, if we're going to do it, then I want you to be the host. And so he was like, how do I get over public? 
public speaking? Well, I'll try stand-up comedy because that's like the hardest form of public speaking, which I do agree with. Because it amazes me. I've taken a lot of senior experienced people to do their first stand-up club because it's amazing. You'll get executives of million-dollar companies. You'll even get speakers who are like used to speaking on stages in front of 20,000 people. And then as soon as I'm like, great, let's translate that and go do stand-up in New York City for five minutes. And they're like, no, like they're terrified of it, which is a good thing. You want to put yourself in those situations. And so I give them a little bit of coaching and understanding. Then we go. They usually bomb a little bit, but also do well. It's a fun kind of thing to, to do. I think to answer your question around surprise, you know, part of it is that's part of what humor is. It's some type of incongruity. It's some type of change because we as humans are naturally trying to find the patterns. And so when someone says something, that's what a setup is for a comedian is it's I'm trying to create a certain expectation in your head. And then my punchline is going to break that expectation in some way. And so that can be big, like some type of regular joke, right? Or it could be even just something as simple as a pun. Like I, I love wordplay. I love puns. So even something as dumb as like, you know, the idea of if you catch mono twice, does it become stereo? It's a dumb question. But that question of if you catch mono twice, you're already thinking to yourself like, okay, where is he going with this? What does that mean? Okay, I understand what he's talking about. Your brain is starting to connect dots. And then it's like, does it become stereo? It's like, oh, it's answering in a surprising way. And in fact, Seinfeld talks about kind of the idea of setup and punchline is two edges of a metaphorical canyon or a metaphorical cliff. And he's like, if the cliff is too close together, right? If it's not a very big surprise, you don't laugh because it's a natural statement. You're like, why would I laugh at that? Of course. Yeah. If you catch mono twice, sucks for you, right? Like that's not a very funny joke. If the gap is too far, then you'd like jump into the middle and you die. Like there's you like some people are too absurd or too far out with their humor that you can't like do the eight connections that it would require to like actually make it funny. Cause you're like, oh, well, you need to know that in the 1776 uh, that this person did this thing at Plymouth Rock, but then did this thing over here. And it's like, if I need a like history degree to get your joke, probably not going to laugh. It's too much work for me. So you've got to find the right amount, amount of surprise because part of humor is rewarding the audience. They like, they feel good about like, Hey, I'm, I'm smart enough to get that joke. Yeah. That's interesting. It's like telling dumb and dumber movie quotes to people who haven't seen the movie. Um, yeah. They're like, what? I don't know. Yeah. So I think about Seinfeld, you know, and he says, if you want to get funnier, you know, get out your, get out your calendar and a big red marker and write jokes every day, you know, and get that, you know, just make sure you've got X every day for a couple of months. Right. Yep. When you think about the repetitions needed to, to get better at this skill, what kind of things do you suggest for people to be able to you know, to be able to have it be muscle memory? That's a great question. I mean, so absolutely. So there's there's three kind of tools that we teach people in terms of that can be really, really effective for using humor effectively in the workplace. Again, we're not trying to curate just stand-up comedians, although we learn a lot from stand-up. But the three tools mentioned some of them already. So one is a humor notebook absolutely invaluable to keep a spot where you just write things down because it's very hard to sit down and be funny. Very hard to be like, okay, I've got, you know, 23 minutes before my next meeting. I'm going to be funny for 23 minutes and go. I'm going to write out a bunch of tweets or I'm going to write out a funny, like, can be hard. Some comedians are able to do that after years of practice, but for most people, very hard to do because we suffer from the paradox of choice. That's a whole different conversation. Much easier is if you do have 23 minutes to work on something to go into your humor notebook and be like, oh yeah, that crazy thing happened to me in the store the other day. Or, oh, right, I had that weird thought about this, this thing that happened. Or like, oh yeah, I, I really should talk about that. Like I went to get my blood drawn yesterday and I've got to, I was like, oh, I need to, I should do material about that because the guy, like when he saw my arm, his eyes lit up because I, he's like, I've got five huge veins. I'm also a very pale person. So not only do I have big veins, but they're very easy to see because it's on like pasty white skin. Like to the point I've, when I've given blood in the past, they've like brought over interns that they were training. Like they're like, no, no, no. We don't want an established nurse to do this one. You, the person who showed up today, who's never drawn blood before, do it from this person's vein because you're not, we could throw it from across the room and we would hit one of his veins, right? So it's like, that's just an observation of like, oh, I need to write that in a humor notebook. Maybe something will come of it. Something won't, right? But making some type of daily habit to say, even at the end of the day, let me just write down one or two things that made me laugh or smile today. Or or if I made someone laugh, teach that as like a trigger for yourself. Okay, what was it that made them laugh? Could I explore a little bit later? So humor notebook, I think incredibly valuable. The second stage or skill or tool that we talk about is a stage, right? Any comedian will tell you that nothing beats stage time. You can certainly take an improv class or a workshop. 
our workshops, what we try to do is we're shaving off the amount of time that it would take you to learn all this stuff naturally, but there's still nothing going to beat you practicing it. But we also like to quote Shakespeare and saying that all the world's a stage, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be a stand-up club, but can you start a, a friends group with a couple of friends that you all, that you always makes you laugh and kind of say, hey, do you want to just share kind of funny ideas in here and give each other feedback on it? Or this is where sometimes having a coach can help of like, hey, I'm getting ready to go into this meeting. How can I use humor in this way? Or, oh, I, I use Twitter mostly for puns. Like I connect with some people on Twitter, but then also like I'm just sharing out puns. Like, you know, uh, a man once asked me if I wanted some free fish. So I asked, what's the catch? Like just a dumb joke to be able to share. I like that type of humor. So I use Twitter as an outlet. So you can find those opportunities to get more of that practice. And then the last tool that we recommend, and this is kind of building off of the agency with humor, the application of humor, because we're not teaching people humor just to be funny. We're using it to how can you be more influential as a leader or how can you be more effective as a communicator? How can you think a little bit more creatively and innovatively? And so the tool that we recommend for that is a humor map, which is like your medium audience and purpose. And understanding that helps you to say, okay, what's the right humor to use? Because sometimes the humor that you would use to build rapport with someone at a cocktail party is very different than the humor that you might use to kick off an event for 3,000 people where you want to start with the story to set the tone for what you're going to be talking about today. So understanding those three tools and kind of trying to say, okay, what is one thing each day that I can do to do that? And you'll start to naturally develop it. And like any skill, it's going to start out more consciously at first. But the more reps you get at it, the more it becomes second nature. You know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, I'm probably never going to carry around a notebook, but the notes app in my phone, I could just mm -hmm. keep one notes app, you know, and that, reserve it just for that and go back to it over and over. That, that yeah, I mean, that's, that's great. Like I use Evernote on my phone. So I have one notebook just called Bits. And it's like, anytime I kind of have an idea or want to explore something a little bit further, it goes in there and it's, it's just a way to capture those thoughts. So exactly. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a physical notebook that you carry around. It can be that it can be a, a napkin. I mean, it's very much like Mitch Hedberg said this, one of his great jokes was like at night, sometimes I'll lay at night in bed and I'll think of a fun idea. And if my pencil is close to me, then I'll write it down. If my pencil isn't close, I'll convince myself it's not a funny idea. Like, Cause it's like, so often we'll, you'll have a funny idea. You'd be like, Oh, that's great. I should write that down i'll remember it or something later and then it gets to like three hours later and you're like ah oh, i remember where i was standing i remember i had a funny idea i even remember how the wind was blowing but i can't remember what the idea is itself right? that's the value of writing it down you know it's interesting especially for maybe more serious or more task-oriented business people how much this could feel like a waste of time like you know right and yet what aspect of business doesn't involve doing something to attract or invite another human to give you something. Employees to give us their best work, investors to give us their dollars, customers to give us their time and money. You know, like human magnetism, you know, and, and being able to duplicate human magnetism is such a key to significant business results, you know? Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's not like going to the gym. It's not something that everybody is doing is out working on their humor, right? And so it would have to be intentional to work on it. You know, one of the things I think about too, we've had, you know, a number of folks from the intelligence community on here, whether it's, you know, FBI guys who need to catch Russian spies or mm -hmm. uh, folks who've been part of the CIA or other places. And this idea of being quick on your feet, like it makes me think like, you know, if if you were working on good spy training, like improv and stand up is probably good for spy training of being able to like handle a situation and think think on your feet and charm people at the same time, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. And, and we've done a little bit of work with the FBI, less on their spies. Um, we haven't gotten access uh, to that, although they're more, you know, that's uh, more of a national focus and all that. So maybe they wouldn't be the right group for maybe it'd be the CIA that we need to work with. But I mean, partially we were working with them to make them help them build rapport. We were working specifically with the Office of Private Sector, because let's be honest, getting a call from the FBI is intimidating. In fact, it's the most intimidating audience I've ever presented to because 90% of the room was armed. It's like, oh man, if my humor doesn't go over well, they could shoot me. Although actually more terrifying was that was I did that event. And then like a week later, I was doing an event in Wichita, Kansas. And I kind of made that joke. And they're like, no, no, 90% of this room is also armed. Like, <laughs> man, that is more, correction, that is more terrifying than federal agents being armed. But part of what they wanted to learn humor for, about was how do we build rapport with people who are intimidated by us? And so that's going to, back to that strategy, a little bit of self-deprecating humor can go a long way in terms of like, okay, I can feel a little bit more relaxed and then they can kind of get the things that they need. But I think you touched on something that was is really, really key is that this feels like, yeah, maybe it's inefficient. Maybe it's a waste of time. 
And you mentioned that human component, like the one thing that all of our client list has in common, right? Whether it is Microsoft, the IBM or the UN or the FBI, or even the International Association of Canine Professionals, the one thing they all have in common is they deal with humans. And so our trainings is not about how to be more efficient at a specific task. It's about how to be more effective with people. Because as an engineer, I am obsessed with efficiency. I remember in school, like getting upset like if I got a 94% in school, because a 93% was the lowest grade you could get and get an A. So if I got a 94 or a 95 or worst case scenario, 100%, I was upset because it meant that I did more work than I had to do, right? I was obsessed with efficiency. But what I learned at PNG and certainly later is that you can be efficient with things like computers. You can't be efficient with people because they have emotions and feelings. And I will tell you that as an engineer, I kind of just consider emotions to be just data. Really think about it, emotions are just data, which I have learned is a wrong thing to say when someone is crying. That's not a thing to say, uh, right? <laughs> but you can't be efficient with people. You have to be effective. And it turns out that humor is just one of those skills to be really effective with people in a really quick way, right? You can build instant rapport with people as soon as you kind of make them laugh. And then that's when you can move on to the things that you need to talk about. Well, I agree so much. I think about I think about time efficiency, right? Mm -hmm. When you can when you can attract someone, when you can get them to smile, when you can get them to laugh, you can usually get what you want to have happen faster than otherwise. You know, I really like these books on like social engineering of like hackers, how they don't necessarily hack the system all the time. A lot of times they they charm the girl at the front desk into letting them into the back room where the passwords mm -hmm. are kept on sticky notes, right? right. They didn't have to hack the system. They hacked mm -hmm. the human, right? Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, FBI, CIA, these these books. And like, you know, you read books about FBI hostage negotiators who they teach you about like using empathy to get an upgrade at the airlines or something, right? Mm -hmm. And like the person in front of them gives the airline woman a hard time. And then he steps up and's like, okay, those people were terrible. Why don't you just say to me everything you wanted to say to them so you can get it off your chest, right? And she plays into it and, and she says, she says some stuff and then she kind of laughs about it. And then she's like, Hey, what can I do to help you? Right. And he's yeah. like, well, I've never asked for an upgrade, obviously. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, and like leads her to come to her own conclusion that mm -hmm. she could do something for him. He's not asking for, and then it's a gift, mm -hmm. whatever. Right. But, you know, in those same situations, I think about like, you know, lead, a situation like that, like leading it off with a joke at the mm -hmm. expense of the people who are probably out of line. Right. It's like yeah. instant bonding. It's this acknowledgement you know, kind of a thing. And it is, you know, from a time efficiency standpoint, I, I would put out there that it is efficient, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's long term, certainly more effective and probably more efficient in that scenario. And that's a great example, because it's kind of like, hey, this is almost us creating an inside joke now, right? Like inside jokes can be great if it's if it has the people in there, you don't necessarily be like Michael Scott, who's like, you know, from the office is like, I love inside jokes, I'd love to be part of one someday. Right. Like you don't want to like exclude people necessarily, but when you create a little bit of humor, and this is a value of a callback, one of the things that we talked about earlier, why they're so effective is because it's creating a, a connected group. So a callback is simply a reference to something that was said a little bit funnier or like said that was funny earlier. Right. So if we're talking and then like it's later, like, you know, uh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Skinny Hugh Jackman. What did you say about this thing? It's like even just referencing a joke that was made. It's kind of a like, oh, yeah, we had that experience together. We're now kind of like we're, we're almost in this club together with humor. And I think the other thing is it, it, this is why it probably works so well in a, a sales perspective is, you know, some sales research training suggests that people will buy from the first person who provides them value. And a lot of times we think of like, oh, we provide them value because it's a free, you know, download on our website that we gave them or a diagnostic that we said. It could also be humor, right? There's great, like, like we said before, humor can be a great gift to someone. So if you use that with an airline person and you've helped them just now to relieve that stress, something that they might have sat with the entire day because those people were jerks, but now you helped relieve them and you made them feel good and like, oh, you're right. I'm not crazy for thinking that they were rude. They were actually were, but at least I get to laugh about it. It's like, of course, they're like, wow, what a great gift you just gave to me. So how can I help you out? Right. It feels like this kind of set of exchange. Well, and the funny thing too is like, you know, I'm thinking about the repetitions and like, you know, you could do that as a sport, even when you don't want something from people, like just have a sport to make people's day better, you know, mm -hmm. like, you know, one, one other one that has worked for me, I'm interested in your assessment on, I think about like, 
when I'm like trying to sell or I'm trying to persuade a group, right. Mm -hmm. And it's like the boss plus, you know, a couple of subordinates or whatever. And, and like, sometimes those conversations can be a bit awkward to get going because we all know why we're there, but nobody wants to bring it up or, you know, something like this. Right. And so there have been times that it's gone well for me to like, to like when the awkwardness starts to happen to go like, you know, to, to turn to the boss who obviously has the high status and be like, you know, Hey Mark, you know, I know you thought we were here to talk about uh, this. This is actually an intervention. The girls have been really worried about you and uh, your wife asked us if we could do the, you know, and just like something absurd. Right. And it, it breaks the, breaks the ice. And then we can be like, okay, do you guys want to buy my stuff or what? Right. You know, <laughs> you know, or like um, teaching seminars. One that's been good is like, is picking on the boss or like, Picking somebody who's like obviously very confident that you can mm -hmm. almost like pick a pick a fight with, like somebody who could take it, you know. Like mm -hmm. I remember, uh, I we had this guy who who was an FBI hostage negotiator. Uh, he, anyways, a guy on our team, one of our consultants, used to be FBI hostage negotiator. Yeah, he came and taught this leadership training class at our consulting firm, and the this the president of the company. It's this big like electrical engineering kind of blue collar place, right? Mm -hmm. There's 30 people in the room. But the, the boss is like a serious bodybuilder, you know, like his shoulders look like bowling balls kind of guy, yeah. right? So we intentionally made jokes about like, we intentionally made jokes about that and about him and he could take it. And mm -hmm. it like breaks the ice for everybody in the room. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. then you could do callbacks to it over and over for like two days in a row, right? And yeah, anyways, I'm sure I mean, you do I, stuff like that in yours. Yeah, well, and I think it, it's it's those are just great examples of different kind of ways to effectively use the humor. I mean, the first one of like, hey, it's starting to feel a little bit awkward, and so you know, let me address that. That's some of what we would call in in comedy of calling the moment or calling the room to kind of say, hey, we can all feel that this thing is going to happen. So if I I'm going to do something to instantly alleviate that tension, that feeling that we all have. And in those moments, it doesn't even have to be all that hysterical. It's just kind of recognizing, well, this was a thing that just kind of happened. And but it's a very funny way to and it shows confidence, right? Because you could just like start to get more nervous and you talk faster, or you like fumble over yourself. But to take that moment to take up like the space and be like, oh, here's this now joke. It's just, wow, like this person is adept, right? It goes back to the emotional intelligence piece. And then I think making jokes with the high status people in the room, either the person who is a class clown or is the senior leader or is a like super kind of like Jack guy is people understand the dynamics of the room. And when you're good at this in the moment, you start to understand them as well and know, okay, if I make that person laugh, then they're all going to be pressed, impressed because that person never laughs. Or if I poke fun at this guy, they're all going to laugh because like, they're such a, like, you know, a hard ass or whatever. And so it's like the fact that you got them to crack and like, you know, showed that you weren't scared of them. It's like going to make you more impressive, right? These are all of these small, like you said, kind of almost social engineering aspects of using humor that you can do. And, and exactly like you said, you're then creating these moments. And that's what I'm, I'm a big fan of it is structure the opportunity, even for things like spontaneity, you can create planned spontaneity. This is what comedians do all the time. Like you go to a comedy club and you see them do crowd work and you're like, Oh my God, how did they think of like that thing? That was so funny. That was so good. It's like, well, we're asking the question so we can lead the conversation wherever we want. And I can ask a question of like, Oh, so what do you do for a living? And if they're a doctor, maybe I have material about being a doctor. But if they say something that I know nothing about, like, oh, I'm an anthropologist, like anthropologist, that's crazy. I made the mistake if I got a degree in engineering and now I can go into all of this material that I have about engineering and it feels still more natural because I'm using it as a launching point, but I've planned that interaction and I've done it enough to know, oh, when that happens, these are the types of things that I can say. And that comes from the practice and repetition of it, comes from the practicing of improv. That's what we do with some senior executives is just get them to improvise because one, it terrifies them because they're so used to having things every structured and like, no, I need to know what's going on. And two, improv exercises can be a little bit hard. So they're going to mess up and they have to get comfortable with that. But that's what they're paying us to do is they're like, we need growth and we're only going to get growth by stepping outside of our comfort zone. Uh, it seems like a like an innovation tool too. When people are trying to tackle something like, hey, we need to come up with something better. We need to come up with something that will grab attention. We like, Even if the funny thing isn't the end goal of like mm -hmm. as an exercise, okay, guys, you know, let's have a quick contest. What's the most funny version of this that anybody could come up with? You know, even if it's not something you keep, like it seems like it would get the creative juices flowing. It would. And actually there's studies that show that of like students who watched a 30 minute comedy video before trying to solve a problem, the, the famous candlestick problem, if you know about it, but before trying to solve that problem, we're nearly four times more likely to solve that problem than students who watch no video or math video, because it's about seeing unique 
connections. You see some of these interesting things or you take the humor angle of it and it works. In fact, a friend of mine runs an agency called Standpoint Agency where they work with brands and they bring in stand-up comedians to talk about the brand. And then the marketers ask some questions about why did you make them laugh, right? So they've worked with groups like Secret before to like do some material about de deodorant. And so they would do that and then they would make them laugh. And they're like, okay, why was it funny when they talked about the residue on the shirt? What does that mean? Oh, there's some insight in there that it's just common knowledge that you're going to have white residue on your shirt. What if that wasn't the case? What if that could be the, our next innovation that we focus on? So that comedy can absolutely lead to insights because there's a lot of truth in comedy. Well, you know, that guy, G Davis, we keep talking about who is the sponsor of this show right now. He he was so good at making these funny videos for other people that he started his own company. It's a pillow for side sleepers. It's actually really good. It's this memory foam pillow. It's like tall enough your head fits on it, right? Yeah. So he just makes a whole bunch of jokes about like how bad regular pillows are if you sleep on your side and the shoulder pain. Like he just, he's got lots of material for people waking up with short, waking up sore from sleeping on their side, right? Yeah, and well, you can you can crowdsource that material too, just to kind of touch upon like Sarah Cooper, who's amazing. She's blown up recently, certainly got a great Netflix special. She was big on, you know, got big and known for, for TikTok and what she was doing uh, on there. She's an amazing comedian, super funny. She also will like kind of put out to her, her following sometimes like, what do you guys hate about blank? And it's just her being able to find like, oh, that's a reminder. That's right. You do like this weird thing about startup culture. Okay, now I can mine that because people are saying this is a, a truth. Yeah, sorry to, to interrupt, but it was just such a great point to be like, yeah, you can get it from other people. Yeah, such a good point, right? But he, like, he's got really funny people on his team and they still consistently hire one or two extra stand-up comedians for their new clients. And, you know, they're charging a lot of money, half million bucks or million bucks a video because because they can, because their videos make yeah. so much, right? But but he's consistently bringing in more stand-up comedians to help them, like, bring some bring a fresh vision, bring, you know, something for the really funny people on his team to react to. It, it is funny, like, the business of humor. We are, some of our friends, we had a, another firm that makes videos like that, the Harmon Brothers. The one brother, he started this thing called VidAngel, which are like, you know, it edits movies so you can watch them with your kids and leave with the swears and back stuff out, right? Well, they get sued by Disney and all these people and it looks like the whole thing might go under. So they're desperate for cash. Well, they they started a stand-up comedy club, but it's only family safe humor called Dry Bar. Have you heard of this one? I have. I didn't realize. So I heard of VidAngel and I also know of Dry Bar. I did not realize that that was where the origin story came from. Yeah. So they just start hiring all these comics to fly into Provo, Utah, and they always have to make a Mormon joke, right? Yep. But they they say, hey, do a family safe set. You know, and you can tell where they struggle a little bit sometimes, yep. right? Because of old habits. But they they had over a billion views in less than a year. I think it was like nine months. And now yep. they've got like the largest collection of of clean humor in the world and like Amazon Prime. I just saw some of their sh shows on Amazon Prime now. It like it completely saved that business so they could last through this huge lawsuit with with Disney and now they're going to survive out the other side because of because of these you know, a different kind of comedy that people hadn't seen like that. Yeah, no, it's, it, right. It's it's a great pivot. I, I've done, a, I did a great improv show in Provo. Love the fry sauce in Utah uh, among, the, you know, the beauty and everything of it. But right, exactly. It's it's a great pivot to your point. And, and it's something a little bit different, right? That's, it's, it's kind of saying, okay, this is a market that wants a little bit of humor and can be such a great, right? What a gift to not only have to make people laugh, but then what about this gift to make your entire family have like a family night where you can kind of say, I'm comfortable sitting down with the entire family on this Friday now and we can, we can all laugh. But you also raise a, a very valuable point with talking about Jay is that you can also bring people together, right? If you think about some of the best comedy in the world, even something like Saturday Night Live, which you can argue whether or not you love every single sketch, but they still consistently, they've been on TV for forever. They have a writer's room of people, as does the Colbert show, as does Stephen Seth Meyers, as does Hollywood movies. They have a group of people working on things. And so it's not to say that you always need additional insight or you know, perspective from people. But if you have a really important talk that you're giving, it can be valuable to bring in a couple of comedians or someone to at least look at things to be like, how can you punch this up? That's what most comedians are doing. It's like, we might have the base idea of something, but how, what are just some additional punchlines that we can use? And we'll, hey, we'll use some of them and we won't use others. I mean, Obama had comedians or people at least with a comedy background that would write some of that material. And would he would he there's still the delivery component of it, but would deliver it very well because it was good, well-written material that 
you get from other experts, right? You don't have to become the expert in comedy. You can find them and bring them on. But over time, you can also learn some of those principles so that you can bring it into your own work. I love it. Well, listen, if people want to connect with you guys or get the books, what, what's, where are the best places? Certainly, if they want more, want more resources on building their skill of humor, they can go to humorthatworks.com. In fact, we have assess, an assessment that we just recently started. As I mentioned, we're kind of talking about different people's humor strengths. So you can kind of take that assessment to see where, where do your strengths lie? How do you best leverage those in the workplace? And how can you learn some of the other competencies to humor? So humorthatworks.com is a great place to, to do that. Also information about our coaching and our workshops, et cetera, there. If you want to connect with me, if you're like, hey, the best part of this entire program are those puns, where can I get more of them. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Drew Tarvin. So that's uh, D-R-E-W-T-A-R-V as in Victor I-N. Uh, and that's on all social media. I'll tell you that I even still have a MySpace page. I don't, I, MySpace still exists and I still have a page. So if that's your jam and you really want to connect, you can, you can connect with me on MySpace, but also LinkedIn, Instagram, etc. Love it. Well, uh, well, thanks for doing this. Seems like you got a fun job. Yeah. Now I enjoy what I do. I mean, I get to bring humor to people's, right? Give that gift of, of laughter. And I think what's fascinating is it's really fun for me to be able to bring humor to maybe some unexpected places. And so it's an honor to be able to do it and also share it with other people who are doing, you know, fascinating things with the things that you're up to. And I'm sure your listeners are up to, to start to say, okay, yeah, how can we, how can we bring humor into this to be a little bit more effective? That's great. Okay, man. Thanks for doing this. Bye everybody.